On the day I was born, the Chicago Bulls swept the Orlando Magic in Game 4 of the 1996 NBA Finals. I want to tell you about that day, but frankly, I wasn't there, so I had to go to a first-hand witness. My mom, Susan Depke. Well, the day you were born happened to be actual Memorial Day that year in 1996. We had no idea at that time that it would end up being a day that was a playoff game day for the Orlando Magic versus the Chicago Bulls. It was Michael Jordan's comeback season with the Chicago Bulls. He had been beaten by the Magic in the 95 Finals, and when the time came to face off again, the Bulls played with a furious energy. Any hope of the Magic going to the final round was dashed before Game 1 even started. Michael Jordan, you see, had a vendetta. There was no chance. The story goes that my family was watching the Finals when my mother was in labor. The doctor had the TV on nearby and would check on the score. The doctor, I think, appreciated coming to our room because we had the game on. So he would kept checking me periodically throughout the day. The game started at 3.30 in the afternoon that day. And so every time he would come to check to see how far along we were in Nicholas's arrival, the arrival of the baby, and he would linger and hang out with us for a little while to watch a little bit of the basketball game in between. So you can imagine that when it became critical, around, I don't know, 5.30 and the game wasn't over. The doctor wasn't terribly thrilled that I didn't, you know, wait for uh, the game to... Listen, that's on me. I'm sorry about that. That's on me. My family had a relationship with basketball. My father played the sport growing up and when the magic came to Orlando, he and my mother followed the whole process. Things were looking good for a few years and up until 1996, it was an uphill trajectory. That was mostly because of two players, Shaquille O'Neal and Penny Hardaway. You know, we loved Shaq and Penny. I mean, we were all about Shaq and Penny. And, you know, Nick Anderson and, you know, all that original team, we loved them very much. And then when things started to go badly between them, I mean, it was all played out in the press in Orlando, of course. But the firing of Brian Hill happened, I think, really without any warning and we felt that, you know, we were kind of upset because those whiny babies got the coach fired. In spring of 1997, after the tragic loss to the Bulls, the Orlando Magic players, frustrated with the way the team was going that year, voted an appeal to the administration of the team to have then-coach Brian Hill removed. They succeeded, and for my mother, she never went back. We were big hometown fans and we were really excited about it and we thought that Brian Hill was a great coach and we thought that the chemistry was great and then, you know, there just started to be all the issues playing out in the media and suddenly Brian Hill was gone and I was very irritated and I said, that's it. I'm done watching the NBA. I'm not watching the NBA anymore ever since those whiny babies got the coach fired. So by the time, you know, you were old enough to understand sports, we were watching Yankees games and Steelers games and Bills games and not watching Orlando Magic games. And when anyone would talk about the NBA, we would say, yeah, we stopped watching the NBA when those whiny babies got the coach fired. It's a sentiment I've heard my whole life, but I never knew what it meant. I love the Magic, I always have. But there was also something in my family lore that pulled me back. 
After 24 years, I figured it was time to finally get an answer. I'm Nick D'Alessandro, and this is Wade 5 Minutes, a podcast about Florida by a Floridian. This week, Coach Hill and the Orlando Magic. We'll dive into how the Magic came to be, how the team grew, and how a city fell in love with a team. Nineteen eighty-nine was the beginning. The Detroit Pistons had just beaten the reigning champions, the Los Angeles Lakers. Magic Johnson had just led the Lakers to two consecutive championships the previous years, but the Pistons beat them to three by sweeping the Lakers in the finals. The NBA was growing, and there was talk of bringing a professional basketball team to Florida. It was magic, basically, you know, to, to not to be too corny and use the phrase. That is John Denton. My name is John Denton. I, I work for OrlandoMagic.com, so I write all the game stories, features, charity stories uh, for the Magic. I'm, I've uh, covered the Magic since 97 to 2009. I covered the Magic for Florida Today and then was hired away by the Magic to, uh, to write for their website. And, you know, it's, it's a wonderful organization. They take great care of their people and, you know, I get to cover basketball games for a living, so I've, I, I, I love life. John has spoken with all of the legends of the Magic over the years, and he shares that when the team came to Orlando, it was a huge deal for the community. They were asked, uh, Pat Williams asked Jimmy Hewitt, uh, who, who wanted to start a team in Orlando, where would you start a team in Florida? Would you start it in Tampa or Miami? And he said, we would start it in Orlando. So together they sold the NBA on what Orlando could become. The NBA ultimately expanded in Charlotte and Miami, and they pushed Orlando back a year. And then a year later, 1989, the Magic and Minnesota came into existence. But it was all based off Pat Williams selling the NBA on what Orlando could eventually become. The NBA had just expanded, adding two new teams, the Miami Heat and the Charlotte Hornets. The Miami Heat was the very first NBA team in Florida. There had been another professional team in the state before, simply called the Miami Floridians, but that's a story for another day. The Heat had been announced at the same time as a brand new team that would take up residence in Orlando called the Magic. The Heat started in the 88 season, and in 89, the Magic came to Orlando, making themselves the very first major league sports team in Orlando. It's important to remember that Greater Orlando was still developing its larger profile outside of Disney and the theme parks. To make an impact as an important city all its own, like its neighbors to the west and south, a sports team could raise that profile. Calling them the Magic was actually not the original plan, as obvious as it may seem now. A contest was held in the Orlando Sentinel called the NBA Name Game, and locals could submit suggestions for what to name the team. Over 4,000 names were submitted, what I wouldn't give to see that full list, but the four finalists were the Magic, the Tropics, the Juice, and the Heat. Now, this was before the Miami Heat existed, so bear with me. The heat was actually written off because it indicated discomfort. The juice indicated a complicated agricultural situation, and the tropics was inaccurate. Orlando is not in the tropics. So, the magic seemed the most obvious and joyful of the names. But the team wasn't official yet. The NBA didn't have confidence in Orlando as a location for professional sports. 
they were only really interested in one team, the Heat. They were looking more at Miami and Tampa. The team behind the Magic didn't step down from their position. And in 1989, the team hired coaches, drafted players, including their first pick, Nick Anderson, who remained with the team for a decade. And in the fall of 1989, with the stage set, the Orlando Magic was born. The first team uh, was a was a veteran-laden team. Uh, they had an expansion draft. They got they plucked uh, veterans from a lot of different teams. Uh, Nick Anderson was the first ever draft choice. That first ever Magic team. There was so much excitement in this town from hearing everybody. Uh, you know, they beat the first exhibition game ever in Orlando. They beat the defending champion Detroit Pistons. Uh, the you know the town went crazy. The Pistons couldn't understand why they were going so crazy over a, <laughs> a meaningless preseason game. It's true. They held an exhibition game, their very first game as a team against the reigning champion Detroit Pistons. It was a game that held no standing for the rest of the season. A game just for fun. But the Magic won, and defeating the champions left a significant impact on the fan base. As if Orlando wasn't already over the moon, this game brought the city into a fervor as the inaugural season came over the horizon. It's November 4th, 1989, and it's the first game for the Orlando Magic. They're playing the New Jersey Nets, now called the Brooklyn Nets. They're playing in a building near and dear to my heart, then called the O Arena. In my childhood, it was called the TD Waterhouse, and I saw everything at the Waterhouse. Circuses, concerts, Disney on ice, and the Orlando Magic. In that first game, as fans packed the sold-out stands, the screen went static. Smoke emerged from the Jumbotron, and a man clad in wizard garb and a fake beard appeared on the screen. Woo! I'm getting too old to be making these dramatic entrances. <laughs> Where am I? Oh yes, Orlando, Florida. I'd have been here sooner, but I-4 was a disaster. <laughs> Get it? It's a joke. <laughs> Stuff, the green dragon who is still the magic mascot, appeared on screen and then suddenly poofed to the court. After a little while, dancers came out and performed the Orlando Magic theme song. It's perfect. I love it. I love everything about it. It's perfection. Both the video and the song were produced by a production company that still exists in town called Gettings Production. The team arrived to the city with a big production and a hungry crowd, but they lose to the Nets, 111-106, to after a tough game. And despite a quality team and a driving passion, they end the season with an 18-win, 64-loss season. The team strengthens the following season and the one after that, but the 91-92 season is yet another heartbreaker. A 17-game losing streak due to injured players left them faltering all season and ending in the summer of 92 with a 21-61 season. And then the magic draft, Shaq. Shaquille O'Neal, born in Newark, New Jersey, was 20 years old when he was drafted into the Orlando Magic with a first-round pick. 
Shaq is seven foot one, a huge figure on and off the court, who dominated at LSU, receiving heaps of praise and awards. The Magic actually picked him up before he finished his career at LSU. When he joined the team, he hit the ground running. He was named Player of the Week in his first week on the team, he was named Rookie of the Year, and he brought the Magic to a 41-41 season. It was the closest the team had ever gotten to the playoffs as of yet, and Shaq clearly was the beginning of something special. Shaq was outspoken in his interest in promoting assistant coach Brian Hill to the head coach position, and by the 93-94 season, Brian Hill was made the head coach, and the Magic picked up a few new players. Uh, they had one shot out of, I think it was like 67 or something like that, and they land the number one pick again the next season. That ended up changing the whole draft. Uh, the Magic selected Chris Webber, and they traded him to Golden State for Penny Hardaway and three first-round picks. And, you know, the pairing of Penny Hardaway and, and Shaq proved to be, you know, a lot of people at the time thought they were going to be the next Magic Johnson and, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And sure enough, by 90, you know, by 95, they had the team in the finals. I think it was the, you know, the, the, the second fastest uh, in, in sports history for a franchise's birth to be in, in a championship round. Anthony Hardaway, called Penny after a nickname given to him by his grandmother, was an All-American shooting guard for the University of Memphis. He was picked by the Golden State Warriors in 93, who traded him to the Magic. Soon enough, Penny and Shaq were a dynamic duo. Shaq is actually the reason Penny made it to the team in the first place. See, they had met on set for a movie called Blue Chips, starring Nick Nolte, where Shaq was featured and Penny practiced on set. John Denton tells me that this experience is what actually brought them together. Shaq and Penny practiced together every day in those sessions for the movie, and Penny was so good and, you know, so good at setting Shaq up, passing to Shaq, lobbing to Shaq, that he went back and told John Gabriel, you've got to take this guy. And they brought, they brought Penny in for a workout. They loved him. They snuck him back into Orlando a day before the draft and worked him out a second time. And from from people who've told me who had that workout, it was jaw-dropping. Like, Penny dominated the thing, uh, got the ball to Shaq. You know, they, they killed each other. So the Magic were determined, hey, we're going to put together the next Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and, and, and Magic Johnson. We're going to have these guys for the next 10, 15 years, and we're going to win a bunch of championships. And, you know, they were headed that direction. Unfortunately, it just didn't work out. They were rocketing toward true legendary status. You have Penny and Shaq and a dynamo team around them. Shaquille O'Neal and Penny Hardaway, and then you surround them with Nick Anderson and Horace Grant and, and Dennis Scott. So they had a, a good team, you know, Brian Shaw. So they, that was a great team, and basketball's excitement was never at a higher level in Orlando than it was in that 94-95 season. The 94-95 season was a massive moment in the team's legacy. Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls had completed their first three-peat of championships in 93. Jordan then left basketball, leaving a vacancy in the league for a true frontrunner. When Jordan came back to the Bulls at the end of the 94-95 season, he came into the playoffs just as his team was facing off against the electric Orlando Magic. On the court, Nick Anderson of the Magic sneaks up behind the Michael Jordan and swipes the ball from him. This was a blow to Jordan's ego that would eventually come back to bite the Magic. They beat uh, a little bit of trivia if you're ever in a bar. 
who was the last team to beat Michael Jordan and uh, knock him out of a playoffs? It was the 95 Magic. They beat, uh, you know, Nick Anderson steals the ball in game one. The Magic end up winning that series in six. They take Horace Grant off the floor on their shoulders in Chicago. You know, Horace won three titles there. So the Magic beat the Bulls in 95. They come back the next series. They outlast the uh, Indiana Pacers with Reggie Miller in seven games. They go to the final. Game one, they're up four. They're, they're up three uh, with less than a minute play. Nick Anderson goes to the line, misses the first two, gets the rebound, misses the next two free throws, and then Kenny Smith ties it. Uh, Rockets win it in overtime, and the Rockets go on to sweep the Magic. The Magic just never got over the emotional blow of blowing that game in game one. They got very very close to victory that year. So in 96, it's time for their comeback. The team is energized, and even though Shaq is injured for much of the next season, the Magic take a 60-22 record and make it to the third round of the playoffs with almost no trouble. Their opponent? Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. It was time for payback. Jordan recently said in the stellar documentary series The Last Dance that they had played the whole season to get revenge for the way the Magic had defeated them in 1995. Anderson swiping the ball, coupled with some trash talk off the court, had focused Michael Jordan as he returned to the sport. The Bulls set the record for wins that year with 72 victories, and in four games, the Bulls sweep the Magic. Game four, when the sweep was completed, was played on May 27, 1996 the day I was born. Penny and Shaq were a unit for a while. They had each other's back on the court, and while the whole team was gelling now more than ever, these two were doing incredible things together. One would charge the hoop, covered in defenders, make a jump to score, lose the ball, and the other would be right there to dunk the ball in, finishing the move. Anyone can watch highlights from their time together and see they clicked. And then, Shaq leaves the Magic. The Magic, you know, offered Shaq a certain amount. Uh, the Miami Heat come back and offer Alonzo Mourning $100 million, And then Shaq says, okay, I want more than Alonzo Mourning. You know, he ends up, the Magic eventually get to, I think, $115 million. Uh, meanwhile, the Lakers are, are, you know, moving their roster all around. Uh, they, they trade away half their team. They draft a young kid named Kobe Bryant, and they end up signing... Uh, Shaquille O'Neal away from the Magic. The, the announcement was made in Atlanta during the uh, 1996 Olympic. You know, the Magic had to deal with losing the, the biggest figure in the NBA. I just want to, you know, thank you all for coming out. And in case you haven't figured it out yet, I've signed with the Los Angeles Lakers. And keep in, keep in mind the word change. Uh, to me, change is for the good. And, uh, before we get started, I would like to thank Richard DeVos and the Orlando Magic for helping my dream come true in 1992 when they drafted me. They have a beautiful organization, they have a great organization, and they helped me to become the good player that I am today. Wearing a Lakers cap, his new Lakers jersey just a few feet away, Shaq and the Los Angeles Lakers announce a seven-year, $120 million contract. For a lot of Orlando residents, It was a complicated feeling. Losing Shaq was hard, but the money being asked was too much for the fans. 
John Denton notes that regardless of the money, it was unlikely Shaq would have stayed in Florida anyway. I always tell people this. Shaq was always going to go to L.A. He wanted to be a rapper. He wanted to be an actor. Uh, if you look at Shaq's history, he usually lasts, you know, four to eight years at any place and he moves. Shaq's burned every bridge he's ever left. He left Orlando, he ripped Orlando. He left the Lakers, he ripped Phil Jackson. He left the Heat, he ripped Pat Riley. So, you know, Shaq, Shaq left Orlando. He was looking for reasons to leave Orlando. He says now he wishes he wouldn't have left Orlando. But, you know, to me, that just kind of twists the knife and makes it hurt even more. But Shaq, you know, Shaq bolted after the 95-96 season. At that same press conference, Shaq confronted rumors that had been surrounding his leaving, specifically concerning the coach of the Orlando Magic, his friend, Brian Hill. And also, before we get started, I would like to end the rumor of of feud between me and Brian Hill. There was no feud between me and Brian Hill. I respect Brian Hill as a man, as a coach. I love Brian Hill as a coach, and I want to wish the Orlando Magic good luck. Let's talk about Brian Hill. Coach Hill started coaching basketball at the age of 23. He moved around throughout the 70s and 80s coaching high school and college teams until he eventually moved up to the Atlanta Hawks as an assistant coach. In 1990, he moved to the Magic as their assistant until he got promoted in 93 to the head coach position. Coach Hill was the connective tissue to the team's success. Horace and Penny and Shaq and Nick were all great players, essential to the team's success, but Coach Hill tied it all together, and just as the team improved when the great players arrived, Coach Hill was just as essential to this golden era of the team's success. That is, until Shaq leaves. The uphill trajectory of the Magic suddenly hits a brick wall, and in the 96-97 season, the team starts to feel it. The first half of the season, they have a 24-25 record. Penny Hardaway injures his knee and misses more than half the season. For a team that was at a pace to win the championship before the decade was through, they were left disoriented and disabused. Someone had to take the blame. Well, you know, you go from winning 57 games in 94-95, in and then you win 60 games in 95-96, you're in the finals one year, you're in the Eastern Conference Finals the next year. That 96-97 team, I mean, they had to deal with no Shaquille O'Neal. Like, that's a blow. Like, that totally changed the whole dynamic of the team. Um, you know, Penny gets hurt. Uh, a lot of people don't realize, you know, everybody thinks of Shaq as the dominant guy. Penny Hardaway was first-team All-NBA those two seasons. Like, he was he was the guy first-team All-NBA. Shaq was second- and third-team All-NBA those years. So, Penny was the dominant guy. Penny gets hurt in that 96-97 season, um, you know, and so that, that that hurt the team even more. The team wasn't doing well. Brian Hill was, you know, he was he was a disciplinarian, a, a taskmaster. He rode the team harder than ever. They weren't living up to the expectations. They weren't winning the way they did in the past. So, you know, there was some there were there was some unhappiness with, with the team. Tensions are rising within the Orlando Magic. There is an amazing article in the Orlando Sentinel from the era written by Larry Guest and L.C. Johnson called The Last Days of Brian Hill. In that article, the legendary sports reporters detail the moments that led up to a fateful day in February of 1997. The story goes that the Magic had just lost to the Pistons, and in a moment of frustration, Coach Hill got into an argument with one of his players, point guard Brian Shaw. 
Tensions were high on the team, and as they traveled to Minneapolis for the next game, Penny Hardaway, the star of the team, gathered players. He noted all the failings of Coach Hill that the team perceived, including fury, indecision, disrespect, and a stubborn attitude. A vote was taken, and the 13 gathered players unanimously agreed Coach Hill should leave the team. It was apparently a long time coming. The article in the Sentinel shares that most of the team had been told they'd never make it to the championship with Hill as the coach. Additionally, according to the team, the tone Hill had brought to the court was starting to weigh on his team. At a game on February 11, 1997 against the New Jersey Nets, Coach Hill destroyed a clipboard with his bare hands. Players report that he swore at and insulted the team, leaving them feeling abandoned. Despite Coach Hill admitting his failings in the press that week, the team grew tenser and tenser. Everyone on the team in recollection shares different variations of who was at whose throat. Multiple accounts blame Penny Hardaway, others state the whole team was in on the plan from the beginning. Hill, after the event, said, quote, The bottom line is, Penny Hardaway came back from the All-Star break and decided he didn't want to play for me anymore. End quote. Penny, on the other hand, said that Hill's demise was at his own hands. Quote, Brian Hill got Brian Hill fired. End quote. A lot of that gets pinned on Penny Hardaway, but it was a team-wide thing, you know. Uh, that was Horace Grant. That was Nick Anderson. That was Dennis Scott. You know, there were, there were a lot of players unhappy with the direction it was going. Like you said, there was a meeting. Uh, basically, the team decided in Charlotte that they didn't want to play for Brian Hill anymore. You know, Brian Hill was a, a great coach. He was exactly what a, a young, kind of wild and carefree team needed at the time. But, you know, I, if you look at the history of sports, I mean, coaches and, and teams, superstars and teams, they kind of have a shelf life. And, you know, after three or four years, they tend to burn out and, and kind of go their separate ways. And I, I really think that's what happened in, at, the, at that time. The story broke on NBC Sports before Coach Hill had been told himself. Within a few days, once the Magic were back in Orlando, the situation was finalized. The administration of the team sided with the players, and on February 18, 1997, Richie Adubato was named head coach of the Orlando Magic, and Brian Hill was let go. The city and sports writers and players relitigated the events over and over again for the following weeks. Stories came out about the series of phone calls that the players made ensuring Hill's firing, debates about whether or not Penny and Horace Grant as co-captains dealt with the coach properly before going all the way to requesting his removal, fans debated whether or not Shaq leaving had anything to do with what happened. It was, essentially, one week, Wednesday the 12th to Tuesday the 18th, when closed-door meetings and private conversations rippled through a sports organization from bottom to top. A lot of fans thought, you know, these prima donna players are turning on the coach. Well, like I said, you know, there, there's always two sides to this thing. Uh, you know, there, there's just a certain shelf life between players and coaches. Like, they get tired of listening to one another. They don't <laughs> respond to one another. They, you know, they, they move on. There's, you know, usually you, you get a core team together. Uh, if you can get four to five years out of them, you're really doing something. So, you know, the fans kind of turned on the players. Uh, Penny Hardaway took a lot of the blame for it. Penny kept his mouth shut, but, you know, Horace Grant was as much in on this as, as Penny was. Nick Anderson, uh, Dennis Scott, you know, they, they were ready for a change. They were they wanted a coaching change, and, you know, it you know it, it happens in sports, and unfortunately the, the, the players took a lot of, lot, of, lot of heat for it. The team eventually made it to the playoffs. They lost in the first round to the Miami Heat. 
they wouldn't win another division title until 2008. Yeah, you know, it, it was it was tough. Uh, you know, the Magic took a little bit of a hit that, you know, you, you lose Shaquille O'Neal, that's a, that's a huge blow to any organization. Like, you know, the Magic went from being little, the little Orlando Magic to a team that was known worldwide. You know, they played games in Japan. They played games in, in England. They were they had fans everywhere. Uh, you know, they, they were like the Beatles with, with Penny and Shaq because, you know, both had major – major advertising cams behind them they were they were known by every sports fan in the world so you go from that to you know back to a team that's that's fighting to get in the playoffs a team that's fighting to make you know to, to break 500 it, it was a tough time when all is said and done it's impossible to place blame on anyone there were a lot of people working together hoping for something big and they had lost a lot of opportunities who did what to who didn't matter in the end they were angry, and things changed. I met Penny Hardaway once. Last May, I was at my cousin's graduation in Memphis, and he just happened to be there. He lives in Memphis now. He's the head coach of his alma mater basketball team, the Memphis Tigers. He must have had a relative himself who was graduating at the same event. It was a little rainy, and I approached, completely amazed by the happenstance. Here is a man whose name and face I've known for so long, taller than everyone around him. I introduced myself, shook his hand, said congratulations on whoever was graduating, and told him I was from Orlando. He was very kind in the 30 seconds we shared. He was a celebrity in Memphis for his current job. I was just a happy onlooker from his previous home. A small crowd swarmed him and I departed. When I left, one thing nagged at me and I think about it often. I wish I had been a bigger fan. Not that I'm not a Magic fan. How can you live in Orlando and not be? But I've spent 24 years of my life distant from this team, watching names appear and disappear from my city's vocabulary. Tracy McGrady, Stan Van Gundy, Dwight Howard, Doc Rivers, Turkaloo. I remember their faces, their highlights, their impact on the city I love but I never adored them the way I loved Derek Jeter and Troy Polamalu. I met Penny Hardaway, arguably the most important player that the Orlando Magic ever had on their roster, and I couldn't even say, I have your jersey, or I was sad when you left, or we miss you in Orlando. My family was so hurt to watch the team fall apart in the years after I was born that, as time went by, we focused our attention on baseball and football, and basketball fell to the wayside. I even worked for the Magic's sister team, the Orlando Solar Bears, for two seasons. I was in the Magic's home base for all that time, and I still was only watching from the outside in. And to pile on, my very good friend Olivia Matthews, who you heard on the show a few weeks ago, is a huge fan of the Magic. She has been her whole life. She has a running joke about the Magic. You see, Spike Lee, the amazing film director, is a huge fan of the New York Knicks. The man sits courtside, he knows the whole team, he is intrinsically connected to the organization. Liv has similar aspirations for the magic. Every once in a while, you know, every it seems like every like maybe 12 years or so, they, they get close. Every 12 right? years. Every 12 years. <laughs> 
Well, if that's the case, then I think, you know, one, we're creeping up on that again, and, you know, mm-hmm. third time's the charm. Yep. So I'm quite convinced that in my lifetime, the magic will win, and my Twitter bio says I'm future Spike Lee of the Orlando Magic, so I like, like Spike Lee at Knicks games. I want to be decked out in blue, black, and white Unite and like have like stand on the sidelines or whatever or courtside and you know just kind of coach from my um, yeah i just want to be that i mean spike lee and i are probably the same height too i think it works (laughs) i can only dream of being that kind of fan so that's why i'm telling you this i am ready to love the magic the nba hasn't had a game in over three months and there's no way to know when they'll be back but I can promise you this, when they return, I'll be ready. I'll have a magic jersey on, and I'll have every player's name committed to memory. When the games open back up, and my friend Liv Matthews is the Spike Lee of the Orlando Magic, you can catch me a few rows back, proud to assume my rightful place as a native Orlando resident who loves his hometown team. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Wait 5 Minutes. I'm so glad that you are here. If you are brand new to this show, or even if this is your first episode, welcome. There are some really amazing stories waiting for you. I have written a few episodes about sports. If you're looking for a good place to jump in, I wrote about the unbeatable Miami Dolphins team from the 70s, and I've written two episodes about baseball in Florida, including the amazing story of how Jackie Robinson came to baseball. If you did enjoy this episode, please consider leaving a five-star review. It helps the show become more visible, and it means the world to me that you enjoy what I am making. You can also find me and share the episodes on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WFMPod. If you want to send me a message, you can do so at WFMPod at gmail.com. I'm always looking for new story ideas, and if you want to follow my personal account on Twitter, I am at WFMNick. I'd like to give a very special thank you to John Denton. He is a wonderful reporter. If you would like to see more of his work about the Orlando Magic, there is a link below that includes all of the stories that he does covering the team. Below, I've also included the amazing article from the Orlando Sentinel called The Last Days of Brian Hill. It is an invaluable read. You've got to check it out. Thanks to Lauren Nix for the photography used in the artwork on the social media channels. If you want to see more of her work, you can check her out at lauren.nix.photo on Instagram. Her last name, Nix, is spelled N-I-X. All of the music used in this episode is from Lobo Loco. You can check out more of their fabulous music at the link below as well. Next week, I travel into the history of Ybor City, the amazing town on the Gulf Coast, and its fascinating relationship with beer. Until then, I'm Nick D'Alessandro. Be good to yourself, be good to others, wear a mask when you go outside, and please, drink more water.